following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. In memory of his soul, his name was Simcha Ben Arash. It's a good man. Okay. Good. So we, we are in the midst of the topic of selling organs. And uh, we, what we finished was part one. We finished last week, although we never finished, but we ended part one, which is uh, um, discussing the issues of part one. We discussing the issues of mutual, of, of sort of harming your own body. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Thank you very much. We'll miss you. Um, so. The issue, the issue we discussed in the last two weeks was the issue of can you mutilate or harm your body um, for non-life-saving goals, to pay the mortgage. Okay, that was what we dealt with, more or less. Um, and we came out last week based on a response from Moshe Feinstein about donating blood for the sake of money. So he does permit it reluctantly. Um, he says, seems to imply that it's okay because you're not, um, that's not called mutilation. Mutilation for for another purpose is not, we don't define that as mutilation. When the when we prohibit harming your, your own body, it's for the sake of harm, so to speak. But now, if you're doing it for another cause, in this case money, he seems to say that might be okay. The question is, do we apply that to selling your organs? Um, would that be applicable? So, I mean, see, it would seem like it's the same principle, but you can make the argument blood obviously is not a major harm to your body. Taking blood, it rejuvenates, it comes back, as opposed to kidney, other organs where you ain't getting it back so quickly. So, so that's the question. But now we're going to move on to part two, which is a um, fascinating issue, which really gets to the heart of Jewish medical ethics. Um, very important principles, assuming, of course, there's always two sides of the coin, as we'll see, but uh, the question is really, do you own your body? Who owns your body? So forgetting about it, even if it's permitted, let's say, to harm myself, do you have another issue? Is, do my organs belong to me that I have a right to sell them? Okay, that's really the question. Very nice, you need to pay your mortgage, but are they yours? Who do they belong to? Okay. Um, so that's the question at hand. It's a general question. Um, so the source for this, I couldn't find too many sources, but he, this sources that I found are all quoted in this book. This is a book. Um, it was a book written by someone named Shlomo Yosef Zevin. He died in 1978. Lived in Israel. Um, he is actually the founder of the Encyclopedia Talmudit. Mm. A brilliant man. Um, I don't know so much of his history, but uh, he wrote a book called Lor Halacha, which he deals with many contemporary issues in from a halacha perspective. So one chapter deals with um, the Shakespearean play of Shylock. Um, that's uh, sorry, the play is uh, Merchant of Venice. Um, uh, so just to read you, I just look it up because last time I read it was the Cliff Notes in high school. <coughs> Um, <coughs> the elementary school. So I never actually read the play complete, but just to sum up what the case there was, um, for those of us who don't remember their high school plays. Or the Cliff Notes version of the high school plays, yeah. 
Right, they don't make coconuts anymore. No, it's called something else. It's what Bob Dylan just used to copy to give his Nobel Peace Prize lecture. Some other. Another equivalent thing. I think coconuts are still out there too. They may be. Anyway, so just a quick summary. Um, to read that. So you understand where he's coming from. So basically, the summary's too long. So basically, the story is, um, there's a young Venetian of noble rank. He squandered his estate. He needs 3,000 ducats to subsidize his expenditure as a suitor. So he approaches his friend Antonio, wealthy merchant of Venice, who has previously and repeatedly bailed him out. Tony agrees, but since he is cash poor, um, he promises to cover a bond if Bessonio can find a lender. So Bessonio turns to the Jewish moneylender Shylock and names Antonio as the loan's guarantor. <coughs> um, so basically, Shylock is first reluctant to grant a loan. Shylock is a Jewish moneylender, but the hook knows. Citing abuse he has suffered at Antonio's hand. He finally agrees to lend the sum to Bassanio without interest upon one condition. If Bassanio is unable to repay it at the specified date, Shylock may take a pound of Antonio's flesh. Bassanio does not want Antonio to accept such a risky condition, um, but that's, that's basically the agreement. What happens at the end? Anyone remember? The climax of the play. What? The woman saves him. Takes place in the court of the Duke of Venice. Shylock refuses Bessonio's offer of 6,000 ducats, twice the amount of loan. He demands his pound of flesh from Antonio. The Duke, wishing to save Antonio but unable to nullify a contract, refers the case to a visitor, etc. Okay, so there's a contract basically where he's demanding, the Jewish hungry moneylender um, is demanding a pound of flesh. Okay? And famous words. Well, the the Something like the, to the Jews have eyes. No? Jew right, to the Jews have eyes. What was the line? I remember vaguely. What, what is it? Say it again. Hath not a Jew eyes, right. Jew so right, so we're not going to get into the anti Semitic overtones of the play and Shakespeare. That's for a different class, a different time. But uh, today, we're, so the, the question is just from the perspective of halacha, he deals with it here as far as. Is it even a valid contract? Can you have a contract where you're going to demand someone's pound of someone's flesh? The bottom yes. line was she said you can have a pound of flesh, but don't take a drop of blood. Right. That happens so at the end. You can take the flesh, In the but court. don't take the blood. Okay, so so again, so this is the uh, this is this chapter. It's called Mishpat Shailak Lefi Alachas. Unfortunately, I couldn't find it translated into English. If anyone wants to take on that project, a beautiful project. That's okay. I'll trust your translation. So, uh, but but again, the, the the title of this chapter in the book is called Mishpat Shailak Lefi Um So a lot of pages here. I'm trying to get to the good part. But let's start with his introduction. So he says, um, he gives sort of an introduction to Shakespeare. Actually, a very funny thing, when I first moved to Houston, so when you have a Jewish organization, one of the things you get is when people die and their kids don't want their Jewish, the parents' Jewish books. So they always drop them off at the synagogue or at some rabbi's house. So it's happened throughout the years. I've had kind of many good books, bad books. Um, but uh, so we once found, well, not found, we once got a 
book drop, a torch. Someone dropped off books from their father, they found in the attic. It was so many of them were in Yiddish. So there was one Yiddish book, it was called Sh- uh, Shakespeare's Plays. Fatajd and Fabesset means translated and improved. <laughs> only, only Yiddish could do. The Yiddish, Yiddish book on Shakespeare's plays, but an improved on Shakespeare. Better than Shakespeare. We can okay. do it better. So, okay. uh, so I didn't read The Merchant of Venice at the time. Good morning. You? Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you, boy. Check. Good to be seen. We're going to have to get the. Uh, okay. Alan's right here. Alan's out. Um, so anyway, so this is not Fabesset. This is not uh, improved Shakespeare, but he's just going to go through the issues of Shylock, this, this agreement from the halachic perspective, like I said, has major ramifications for Jewish medical ethics, and specifically to our topic. So he starts off like, like this. He says, Ad hayom from, uh, up until this day, nechshavot yitzirotav shal Shakespeare bechlal, um, the uh, creations of Shakespeare um, were, by the way, you know, was, uh, I'm sure you've read the news yesterday, Caesar is playing in New York with yeah, assassination of Trump. Trump. So it's all pleasant. Yeah, we're going to do that one next. We'll do that <laughs> next week. Vizu shal asochar mevenitza. It's good if you want to know how to say Venice in Hebrew, it's Venitia. So the merchant of Venice, befratl is paklaria Sheba mishtakfot lo dumyot bodedot shel anashim. Okay, just talking about Shakespeare in general. Um, so we read the, we know, we know the, at the play. We don't have to read that part. So let's move on down. So he says, so, uh, so the last line in the first paragraph. He says, his question is, ha'im yesh erech min kudot hamishpat. Are there, um, is there any worth in the points of the court case that took place within the play, Atamudi, Antonius, between the contract that was written between Shylock and Antonius, which was for the pound of flesh, for the pound of flesh. Okay, so is there any um, Talmudic points that we can remove from that contract? So he says, like, so the next paragraph, bottom of the page, he says, L'chora ha'sheila hidei pshuta. It's a simple question. Open and shut case. Kol ha'chozim, all lease contracts, v'tchayvut sheba'olam, and responsibilities, v'tchayvut, meaning obligations in the world that I obligate myself through a contract. Ha'ain b'kocham l'hatir isurim sheba'olam. First thing to know is a contract, just because you write a contract and you're even legally committing yourself to something does not mean the contract, if the contract goes against what the Torah says. He says it's an invalid contract. Um, this okay. relate to vows also, or not really? Yes, well, well, vows, not so much, but actually oaths. It says you can't take an oath against something the Torah says. And I was like, I can't take an oath that I'm not going to keep Shabbat. <coughs> Why? Because that's a different reason. That's because the oath doesn't take effect because According to, to, if you would have came on Shavuos, on revisit of Sinai, he spoke about that all Jews, every single Jew was at Sinai and took an oath to uphold the altar. Oh, remember that bar? Right, so, so therefore... I wasn't there. I wasn't you were there, there, you were there. You don't remember. I forgot, I so, forgot, you're right, I forgot. So therefore, any oath, subsequent oath you take is not a valid oath. Okay. 
That's that's about all. But here he's saying something else. He's saying, I, I have a contract. Add that we have a similar prohibition in American jurisprudence that the courts will never enforce a contract about something illegal. So if you write a contract to provide drugs, kill somebody, kill somebody, <laughs> or <laughs> drugs. Or anything that's illegal. It's an, it's an invalid. Course, automatically, it's contract automatically. Is, so, I mean, if I hire a hitman to kill someone, I don't have to pay him. Is right. what you're saying? Legally, I won't have to pay him, right. even after he does. He the job. may enforce it himself. The law won't enforce. The courts will not enforce an illegal contract, <laughs> and even a legal contract, if it's under unconscionable terms, will not be enforced. Mm -hmm. It's good to know. Okay, sorry, you got a bad copy. Sure. I want to switch. I'm yeah. not using it. I know it by heart already. It's bettering. So, so he says that the first thing to understand is that any contract or obligation that goes against um, the Torah is, is automatically invalid. In Yasser Reuven, um, so he says, for example, if Reuven makes a contract with Shimon with Shabbat to violate Shabbat, let's say I'm an employee, okay, so I'm going to hire someone, but I'm telling you, in the contract, he has to work on Shabbat, okay, so, Klum uh, Reuven Shimon can Reuven bring Shimon to court, Shabbat to force him to violate Shabbat? No, he says, of course, it doesn't work, okay, contract. We're in inherently in that contract that's saying to violate the Torah is, as you're saying, just like as in American jurisprudence, it is an invalid contract. So too, in our case, he says, to take a pound of flesh, a piece of flesh from a living person, that's prohibited from the Torah, as we discussed. It's, a, it's mutilating the body. It doesn't matter that he wasn't Jewish. That's a good point. I don't know if he addresses that. That is a good point. No, but Meaning the Jews the one that made the contract. Right. So no, but the question is, is it, is the prohibition of mutilation to like, for example, like you mentioned, with Jews. for example, uh, mutilate, there's no prohibition for a non-Jew to, to get a uh, tattoo. tattoo, right? So, so I'm not sure this the prohibition that we have, of mutilating your own body or someone else's body, is applicable to non-Jews. Okay, so obviously if, it's, if you're going to kill him, that's a problem. Murder is prohibited to, to Jews or non-Jews. So is that a Noahite law? Or is that no, so I'm saying the... Law? Which one? Murder, Murder. is Noah, is everyone. It's applicable to everyone. But I'm saying it's body mutilation, right, it's not. It's only a law for Jews. It's one of the 613, so it's a good point that you bring up. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. Is the prohibition against mutil mutilating someone or being mutilated? It's, well, if you allow yourself to be mutilated, it would be the same. But the prohibition is mutilating. Mutilating. Okay. He says, So he addresses your question. Next line, look at that. He says, To mutilate or hit a non-Jew is also prohibited midoraisa. He says, It's a biblical prohibition. Okay. So even if you're not going to, he says, Now, what's his source? There is no explicit source for this in Torah. How does he know? So he says, Listen, and it sounds uh, sort of, racist or don't take it personal. Sharegam Tsar Balechaim Kaimalan he says even harming animals, causing pain to animals is prohibited. Minatora, <laughs> biblically. So he says clearly so obviously harming a non Jew is not gonna be any worse. That means you can't tattoo a cow? No, that, that's cow. not uh, harming. Well 
It's mutilated. That, that's, uh, I don't even know if tattoos, by the way, I just brought it up because Ron mentioned last week. Tattoos is a separate prohibition. It's not, Torah doesn't say it's because of mutilation. So it's, it's confirming that non Jews have the status, at least, of animals. Right. You know, oh, thank like, God. Yes. Meaning, meaning, no, he's not saying. All he's saying is it's clear that there's a bib- there'll be a biblical bro- prohibition to, to harm a non Jew, even though it's not explicit in the Torah, it doesn't, doesn't say it anywhere. Uh, but he says, if the Torah prohibits even causing pain to animals, obviously causing pain to a human, any human is going to be prohibited. So that's his source, meaning it's again, it's not explicit. Right. Right. Even if there's no issue of endangering his life by doing this, surely if there's a risk of life um, when, when one is doing this act. In that case, you're also violating that shall not murder, obviously, if there's a risk. If you committed an act which could cause death. If Shylock would come and bring the guy to court, um, Antonio to court, to a Jewish court of law to fulfill his obligation, Bezdin would not take the case, um, as you said. They, wouldn't, they would obviously not enforce this. Um, Lo Shylock velo Baldino, not for Shylock, not for his defendant. Rishayim lach toch basam enachai. Is it permitted to cut off a piece of flesh? Mishal atzmo shal man shechaveru, from himself or from his friend, from his fellow man. So either one, he says, is prohibited. Therefore, a Jewish court of law would not enforce this um, obligation. Okay. So we're saying the entire setup is illegitimate. Case closed. Mm-hmm. Oh, we got another four pages. I know, but Right. Mm-hmm. right. From a Jewish point of view, case closed is an invalid contract, exactly. period. End exactly. of story. Well, because under, those... Under uh, Jewish Sharia. Right, under Jewish Sharia. <laughs> page 8. Oh, yeah. So, page 8, uh, on top of page 8, he says, Because those, Ein nekuda zu mimatzeh kol tochon hashalom. This point does not address the whole question. Um, so, and he goes on to explain. Mashiach isur lasot pula asura. This that we that there's a prohibition to do a prohibited act. That doesn't necessarily tell me that the contract that my commitment becomes null and void. Meaning very nice, we're establishing that there is a prohibition of cutting a pound of flesh. But how do I know that that would make the contract null and void? And this is really and this is as we're gonna see, of course, very applicable when you're selling a kidney, when you're selling an organ, where you write up a contract right, to sell your organ. So that's the question. Just because, even if you want to assume, which we're not clear yet, that it is a prohib- it's prohibited to do that, um, what makes the contract null and void? Um, it could be I signed the contract saying something's prohibited. So he says, um, The commitment is still a commitment. The other side of the page. So he's saying the commitment might still stand. So I have a prohibition. The Torah says I shouldn't fulfill. I can't. I am prohibited from fulfilling the commitment, but it doesn't mean the commitment is null and void. Dugma um, says an example of that would be an eroim b'isaribis. For example, let's say as we know, charging interest is prohibited in Jewish law, right? So let's say let's say he's saying So now the question is, if I write a contract with interest in the contract, does that mean the contract is null and void because the Torah? prohibits charging interest, and therefore the whole contract is null and void. So he's saying, according to the Marit, who's a early authority, according to, so it's, there's obviously 
It's Judaism, so there's two opinions, of course. But in that case, the Marit says, the Marit is of the opinion, um, that the contract still stands. The fact that I put interest in the contract with a fellow Jew doesn't make the contract null and void. I still have to pay him back um, the loan. He's, the, the lender has a f- biblical obligation to pay back the loan with interest that they made up between them. The problem is the Torah prohibited on both of them, on the mouth and the love, on the lender and the borrower. They're both prohibited in paying interest and accepting interest. Um, to fulfill this obligation. So the lender is prohibited from accepting the interest. And the, the borrower is prohibited from paying the interest. So the Marit deduces a halachic point from this. That's not the place for now. Um, but his point is from all this that you see that it's not so simple as that in itself. Putting something prohibited in your contract would not necessarily nullify the contract. Uh, um, I have a question. Sure. Suppose he does opposite what our Supreme Court did. Does he doesn't call it interest? He calls it um, tax. Uh, right. Not so a tax. A, um, a transaction <laughs> fee. Right. Yeah. So that that does work in halacha. There is a loophole that, that we use. It's called a heteriska, which means if the money I'm borrowing is for the sake of an investment or business or to buy my home, so then the borrower, uh, sorry, the lender can become a partner in my business. So he's not, and he's getting returns on his investment. It's not a, I right. don't view that as a loan interest. So that's a loophole that is done um, so halachically in, in Israeli banks, by the way. Bank Lumi, when you borrow money from them, when you take out a mortgage, you sign a heterisca. Right. I actually have this concept, which is a legal document. It's a perfect, this by, by the way, was twice upheld in American courts. Heterisca was upheld. In one case in New York State, there was usury laws where the person, of course, was a Jewish lender, so he was charging 25% interest um, on a loan. So the and when they um, and they they brought to court for usury, violating usury laws, which you can't charge over a certain amount of interest. And the New York State, I don't know, the Supreme Court upheld the heterisca. He produced the heterisca in Hebrew, saying that this is not a loan; it's a business; it's an investment. And the, the court accepted it as a valid and let him off the hook. So it is, it's uh, it was upheld by the American um, justice. So the first paragraph implies that a Jewish court would not even take the case because the contract's invalid. The second one implies that maybe the Jewish court would take the case and validate the, the pound of flesh part, but maybe there's still a compensation. Well, he, well, he's, not, well he's not saying it. He's just saying that you see in his other examples, he's showing you that the the legal contract and obligations still stand even though there's a prohibited item in the contract. So he's going, he's, he's saying, how do I, so he's, he's, he's navigate, not sure. How do you navigate that? And most contracts under American jurisprudence have a severance clause like that that, that says if, if one part of the contract is declared illegal, all the rest still applies, and even that part will be enforced to the extent that it's legal. Right. Okay. So let's see. So he gives another example, um, interesting, more interesting, more colorful example. Is not sure I understand, but we'll see in a second. Um, there's a there's a prohibition, and we might have spoken about it here in the past. You can't bring a carbon or anything to the temple donation that was um, monies obtained through prostitution. 
Okay, so it means the prostitute does her job. This morning she wants to donate something to the to the shul. So we're now going to accept the money that was given in exchange for prostitution. Okay, it's good to know this. Don't take a donation from a pimp. As a rabbi. That's a prostitute. So, um, so that's called, it's a biblical prohibition, the Torah talks about, it's called Esman Zona. Okay, the exchange for, for a prostitute cannot be accepted, meaning, so let's say she accepts a sheep as her, as her payment. That sheep can't be brought as a karban, as a sacrifice in the temple. Okay, now if it's laundered, by the way, there's a, if it's, once it's laundered, I think that was why Marvin Zindler went after the chicken ranch. <laughs> okay, not sure I understand, but Jewish before boy. my time. Um, so, so now, so his, what, so what does he want to read from this? One second. So he says, Esnan, Esnan, Asr Torah, Afilu Baalima. Okay, so, Parish Rashi, Shav Bishu Chayev Misa, so now, okay, it's, it's too complicated, I'm going to skip this. <laughs> Very convoluted, so, I mean, we don't have um, all that much time. But it's a, he, the case is that even, whatever, it's something to do with incest here, and it's a long, long story, I'm not going there. Never mind. Okay, so let's, never mind, let's skip that part. Um, so, but the point is, he's bringing this as two examples of cases and at the end of that paragraph, or the new paragraph there. He says, Even though you have transactions and acquisitions that are based on, on prohibited actions, they take hold. They actually have an effect. Okay? Even though there's a prohib- prohibition to do those acts. Okay? So he says, So if you look at our situation of Shylock. Just based on this little, on this one point of the prohibition of, of striking another person, of harming or mutilating another person. So there's a question, which doesn't seem at all so simple um, as to whether this works or not. And he's going to explain the question. He explains the question like this. So he says in the bottom paragraph, Shylock bab is manakavua. Shylock is coming at, an, at a set time. There was a, it was a time in the contract that he signed, that Shylock signed with Antonius. It said at the end of this and this time, if you don't have the money, so then um, you, will, you will have to give me the pound of flesh. So, what did Shylock say? Uh, what did Antonius say? He said, I don't want to cut out a pound of flesh. Um, let's say he would come to the bed and say, I'm not cutting out a flesh because it's prohibited. He comes and says, and therefore the, the contract is not valid. Um, who's saying that? I don't know who's who. Meaning he's saying like this, if Shylock would say, listen, I'm a religious Jew, and therefore I can't take a pound of your flesh because it's prohibited. Therefore, I, I won't accept, you know, it's, Let's say Antonius is saying, I'm ready to give the pound of flesh. But Shalak is saying, halachically, I can't accept it, therefore you have to pay me the money. So he says, In that case, Antonius would not have to pay him the money. Because he offered it. He offered Listen, I'm ready to, to fulfill the contract. The contract is a valid contract. It says I give you a pound of flesh. You don't want the pound of flesh? That's not my problem. Okay? Um, according to what we're saying, since he agreed in the contract, and he committed to this contract, and the contract says that you have to accept the pound of flesh, and now um, he can't say, I don't want to be paid for the pound of flesh, I want the money, because the contract is a valid contract. Even though, as we're saying, it's a prohibited action. Um, 
So the question is, who's right in this case? That's his question. So he says, this is really a general question. On any type of uh, contractual obligations that's made on a prohibited thing. Okay? How do we, how do we rule in that case? Is the person still obligated to to his friend, but if for the friend it's a prohibited thing, the and he accepts the payment. I'm ready to pay. I don't have a problem with Allah. I'm ready to to pay the pound of flesh. It's not my problem that you're, uh, you know, a religious Jew. And he's saying no. This prohibition. Therefore, I want back my money. So he goes on to say this is what's relevant to us. So he says like this on the top of page 9. He says, very, very important principle he lays down here, and we have to see where, what his sources are. Um, top of page 9. He says, the life, the potential of life that's in the body of a person, says, a nenu shalom does not belong to him. Okay? Shaladam. It doesn't belong to the human. Zua nukuda. This is point number one. This is the main point. He says, it's not only that a person is prohibited from committing suicide, from taking his own life, which, as we know, is a that also is a biblical prohibition. So you'd say, okay, listen, so that the Torah doesn't allow me to take my life. It's my body. I can do. I can mutilate it. I can donate an organ. I can sell an organ. Other things that I want to do. What's the problem? The biblical prohibition against suicide is from. It's from as Parsha Noach. Hashem says. Dam Adam, something. I need Doresh. God says I will account for any blood that's for your blood that is spilled. After someone else's murder, and is even your penalty for suicide is death. Okay, so so he says El Sheina Chayim Alalu Shelo Klal. By the way, I don't know if you know what's going on in the world, but. I mean, just as a rabbi, I've heard from other teachers with this show. There's a Netflix show about suicide. It's called Thirteen Ways, yeah, yeah, Thirteen Reasons, about this uh, high school girl who mm-hmm. commits suicide and she leaves over thirteen videotapes. Each one another reason why she did it. Every episode is another videotape of the girl saying, "What? You know, this teacher looked at me the wrong way. This kid bullied me. My parents, you know, gave me detention, whatever." And all these high school kids are watching. It's a major all over. I mean, there's an increase. Since the show started, an uptick in high school suicide. I spoke to a friend of mine, he's a 12th grade uh, teacher, Rebbe in a, in a, in a modern Orthodox high school in five towns, and all, it's all the kids talk about it coming the next day, and they're making videotapes. Kids, even the kids are not, you know, they're all making these videotapes, giving it to their friends about why they're going to commit suicide, what you did wrong to me. So it's, it's very scary. And, and Netflix is making millions, of course, of it. They're very happy. But uh, so it's a. It's a big thing going on and I, I actually have a funeral today in Houston of a community 25 year old kid who committed suicide so it's, this is a scary thing um, we live in a crazy world that's what I'm saying JFS has started a whole big push to deal with suicides yeah it's one time right? someone I spoke mm-hmm. to said there's an uptick JFS has a lot more cases yeah it's, it's crazy anyway so he says like this so it's not only prohibited to commit suicide um um, El Sheina, he says, to take your life completely. But he says, El Klal, your life does not belong to you at all. Period. 
if you sell or give or collateralize, I don't know if that's a word, your, your body parts, or parts of your body, or piece of your flesh, or allow someone to cut it, it says it's like I'm selling you the Brooklyn Bridge. I can't sell you what's not mine. If I sell you a part of my body, he says your body doesn't belong to you. So basically your contract, forget about whether the contract is valid, it's invalid because it's prohibited. He says there's another issue here. Uh, very nice. I'm making a contract with you to sell you the Brooklyn Bridge. It doesn't belong to you. So your contract is invalid. He's saying, Shaina Kenya Nitvas Klaus says therefore the the um, acquisition doesn't take effect at all. So you can't have a loophole where I'm giving my kidney if I'm really leasing it to you. If I need it, you no. have to give it back. The question reverts to, can I steal my own kidney? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Basically, that's what you're doing. That's right. going to talk, right? So he says, you know, there's a famous rabbi line that used at all funerals. I'm sure you've heard it. The Hebrew and the English, it says, right, Hashem natan v'ashem lakach. God is given, God is taken. I don't know where, where that's from. So he says, by the way, that line that's stated at funerals by rabbis, he says, Hashem Natan, Hashem Lakach, Melitza. It's not just a good line that rabbis, uh, <laughs> you know, need for funerals, for a, for a, uh, a eulogy. Shanach Tanchum and Greatest. That's just a nice line, you know. You tell the person, you go to the shiva, ask God, hey, you know, God gives, God takes. El Shazui Hagdarat Hamitziut. That's a statement of fact. Natan Hakadosh Baruch Techayim LaAdam. God gave life to us as humans. Sheishtamish Ben for us to use. To be to 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 live, have a loshi knuyim lo, but not he didn't give us life that we own it. Lasus bam kadam haoseh b'toch shalom that a person can do whatever he wants with his life. Lakachat etachayim bechazara to take life in return to to take back life. Efshar rak lemishnat nam lakalish baruch rak lemishnat nam. It's only the one who gave it can take it back. Who's that? Lakalish baruch to God Himself. But it's not that right is not given to a person. He is not the owner. Um, and, and it's very clear. So first of all, this is obviously relevant to, to uh, euthanasia, to many, as many applications, but we're going to stick to this topic here today. So, yeah. so does, does God give a soul to life, or does God give the life itself? Because... The soul is alive. I mean, you're only alive because you have a soul in, in well, your body. Not, but animals are alive. And they also they have don't a soul. Have soul. No, well, they do. They, they have, have a lesser soul. They also, yeah, in order to anything that has life has some form of a soul. There's a higher soul. There's different levels of souls, so to speak. There's the, you know, the the Cadillac soul and the Corolla. Plants and too. Or plants. Yeah. Right? So, so plants. Yeah, to a certain so sense. Yes. I mean, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't do anything that's going to damage the, the soul or, or expel the soul from the living Yeah, so he's going to get to he's going to get to the body parts. Yeah, so it's a good body. point. He's talking about the body. He's not talking about the soul. He's talking about no, the but he's talking about body. it's true. He's saying we, all we're saying now is life. God grants you life. So he's saying, so let's say if I, you know, cut my finger off and I put a tourniquet on, I didn't take away my life. Right, so it's a good, it's a valid point. So let's see, I think he might address. So this, so he's saying that's, so number one is you don't own your life. Okay, um, okay, that's... Don't hug your wife. Don't hug your wife? No, I didn't say that. I said you don't own your, your life. Body. Your don't body. Don't hug your wife also, that's a separate class. So okay. it goes without saying that in non-religious circles, this right. first principle would be not debatable, if, not, if unacceptable. Not a fact. Um, well, <laughs> well, well, it depends on which... Right, what do you mean? What are you saying? About By definition, life? secular 
humanists, people who are not religious, would not accept this fact that God gives you your life. You buy, well, they if you don't believe in God, obviously God right, doesn't give you life. Saying, so even if you do believe in God, the question is, exactly. is this is debatable as we're going to see. So, you know, meaning, as a work. Well, I, I mean, I have no rights over my body at all. You know, so uh, so uh, it's, a, it's a very important discussion. So he says, um, he says, so the first source he brings for this is the from the, what's called, we call it, it's called the Shulchan Aruch Haram. And I was giving references to support his statement. Yes, that now he's going to try to prove that he's right. Here, here's, the, yes. here's the data supporting yes. my So there's a, this is a, a five-volume set called the Shulchan Aruch, but it's not the Shulchan Aruch. Um, it's called the Shulchan Aruch. It's, <laughs> it's written by the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, Shnei Zalman Miliadi. He was, so he wrote an interesting story, but he originally was non-Hasidic. He was in the beginning of the Hasidic movement, founded at that time, and as you know, there's a lot of opposition, still is, to the Hasidic movement in general, because they had a whole, the whole new philosophy um, that was foreign to Judaism, um, and might still be. So there was uh, many people who were against it at the time, including the Vilna Goa, and 200 rabbis signed the excommunication. So um, Shneir Zalman actually was a student of the Maggid of Mizrich, one of the Balshent of Tamizm, to make a long story short, but he he was a normal guy until he met this Hasidic rabbi and then he grew up in Vilna. Um, and when he became Hasidic, obviously it was a big thing because he was a smart young budding scholar who had a future. So in order to prove that he hadn't, let, hadn't left the fold at the time, he wrote, he was 21 or 22, he wrote this five-volume halachic treatise, sort of a summary of the Shulchan um, okay, so so they call it's called Shulchan Harav because he was known as the Rav. Okay, so in this, in this, in his, in one part of the book, he has a chapter called. So the rabbi here that's quoting him is is he uh, the Hasidic bent or is he not? He actually, was slightly. Because from what you're saying, it would be unlikely. No, to no, no. Say this is except today. Today, everyone uses this. So it's, it's an amazing halachic work. He wrote it at 21 years of age. But it's an unbelievable work sort of summarizing uh, all the things. So yeah, everyone, everyone accepts okay. it. It's not, I mean, if there's different opinions, they don't necessarily rule like But they don't opinions. say this book's unacceptable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Today, it's all unacceptable. Um, so in the, he has a chapter called uh, The Laws of Harming Your Body and Your Soul. Okay. So in, so read like this. He says here, um, so he, he discusses this halach of prohibited to hit someone else. So he says, Asur lahakot et chavero. It's prohibited to smite your friend, I feel who not the lower shoes, even if he gives you permission. So the guy says, you know, give it to me. I'm ready, I can take it. You know, pulls up a shirt and says, slam me. Okay, so says Shokhan Akharab, he says it's still prohibited, even if he gives you permission, still prohibited to hit him. Why, he says, and this is a key word that he's going to quote, he says, Kien ladam reshut al gufo klal. Because a person does not have permission, um, he, he's not the owner of his body. So the fact that he gave you permission, to punch him in the stomach doesn't make it permitted. Okay, it's not his body to tell, to, to give you permission to harm him. Okay, also he says not to humiliate him, even if he gives you permission to humiliate him, etc. Okay, um, with any pain. Okay, so um, so that's so that's a statement, and he goes on to explain. Other, so other. halacha prohibits boxing. Um, no, we said that's that could be something else. That's a living. You got to make a living. To oh. make a living, we that might be. That's a, it's, a, it's relevant to this question, but we did a class on that, and we said we had certain allowances to make money. 
this intriguing. This guy is saying this is a fundamental biblical fact, and to prove it, he quotes something from 1600s or whatever. No, I mean, what about for the preceding millennia? Can he find something closer to Sinai? Nah. So let's see. So let's see. It it's all. It's all obvious. Still from Sinai. <coughs> so let's see. Okay. It's a valid point. We're gonna you know, no. Let's see his other source. That's his, okay. That's the source number one. Okay. Um, so we're, again, we're on the bottom of page nine. So he says. Oh, so I'm sorry, not the bottom. The second paragraph, page nine. He says, "I mean, Lishano, The first point I'm going to bring to bring to prove this principle is Lishano shall add more hazakain. That means the old Rebbe. That's who he's known. Balatanya b'shalchanar." Okay, he was the first about Rebbe, so he's known as the old, the old. That's Shulchan Aruch of the Rav. That's not Tanya, is it? No, it's the same author. Same, right? Same author. Tanya's their main book. Yeah. So he's, he's known as the Balatanya. That's mm -hmm. based on his book, Shulchan Aruch Shalom. Shadam asul lach bol batzmo. That a person is prohibited to harm himself. Mivuab mishnab gemara b'poskim. That's already explained, as we know, in all the in the Gemara and the Poskim. That's that's clear. Elishib makom shabacholos amikarot kasu sheinu rishal. Rishai, in all the places, instead of in the sources that write it's not permitted or it's prohibited, he He changes. You know, his point is, he's not bringing this as, you know, that we read, the Gemara says it's prohibited to harm yourself and to harm someone else. He's saying the language that he uses, the way he understands that prohibition is what he's proving. He says his language is slightly different than in the other sources. His language is, um, he brings in this concept, the reason behind it, the rationale is, he ain't not The fact that I'm not allowed to hit someone else, that's in the Gemara. That's not his, his chidush. He's not inventing that. What he's saying is, he's explaining the rationale behind it. The reasoning behind it is because your body doesn't belong to you. So he's saying, he's saying, the, you see from the rabbi, with sweetness, and, you know, just, uh, you know, he's not even addressing this point here, but he's saying, you see this point, which is that a person does not have ownership on their body at all. That's his point. Again, this didn't come up before the 16 or 1700s. I'm asking no, a little far again, he, we have a law saying it's prohibited no, to no, harm your body. So the question is, what's the rationale? The part right. about your body yes. not belonging. Yes. That's what so he's saying. He's saying you see it very explicitly in okay. yeah, the first time. That's season. surprising. You would have thought that would Yeah, well, it wasn't, people weren't selling the organs. It wasn't like a normal thing. No one's really doing. No, but people know, were hitting each other and mutilating each yeah, other. That's but, for sure. But again, but, but that—that's prohibited. That's not a question. The question is the the rationale behind it, um, which we can then derive to other places and apply it to other places. Shylock and selling your organs. So then he brings Shuvi Eshlevi right at the bottom paragraph. He brings another uh, proof. that it's not permitted to give permission to harm your body. And, and the Gemara seems to imply it doesn't make a difference whether you're harming someone else or your father in this case, because the Gemara says like this, he says, um, you know, this, we, we discussed this Gemara in past classes many moons ago, um, where questions as a physician, as we know, um, it's never good to treat your parents or your wife or family member, but the, in the Torah, the Gemara says it's actually prohibited halachically. Why? Because there's a prohibition to draw blood from a parent. It's a, it's a capital crime in the Torah to punch your father in the face where you actually, where blood comes out. Okay, if there's no blood, then it's fine. Or, but no, also a black and blue mark. So, but it's capital punishment um, for someone who actually 
harms their draws blood from their father. So the issue is, can as a physician, what happens if I need to treat my father? Um, when I'm doing surgery, clearly I'm, blood's going to be coming out when I slice. So the Gemara, to make a long story short, as we remember, if you remember from that class, we discussed the Gemara says, of course, if you're healing your father, that's permitted. The concern is that even in a case where you're doing surgery, if you cut one millimeter too much, uh, more than you had to for the surgery, then that's going to be a problem. Technically, that could be considered a capital crime, even though, of course, that wasn't your intent. So with Bishogeg, it's not going to be capital, obviously, but you violated a capital law without the intent. If you cut one millimeter, I don't know, what's the language for a surgery? Probably not a millimeter, that's too much. Centimeter, what? Yeah, millimeter is fine. Millimeter, yeah. So one millimeter over the amount required for the surgery. Okay, so the Gemara so brings... intention does matter here. <coughs> oh, it matters everywhere, but even though it's only a show, meaning here your intent wasn't to harm your father. I understand. But still, we're concerned, even though, because you're a shogun, meaning you're unin you committed the act unintentionally of a capital well, case. We're it's going still back serious to our previous where intention is a big deal. Intention is always a big deal. Also, is that yeah. one reason that doctors don't mind to work on their relatives. Their well, I can't speak for doctors, but I'm saying we're saying it's prohibited. Yeah, well, I'm saying, saying, saying. Yeah, you can't speak for the doctors. You gotta ask them. Most yeah. doctors don't. It's also the relatives don't pay. The reason they don't operate the, the relatives usually don't pay. Well, I think the comic sense you can't pay. You can't be objective. They don't listen. They don't listen. They don't pay. The the flip side of the objective argument is that. Who, who cares more and is going to give the most attentive and careful right. care to a relative? Right, but you're not objective anymore. Well, that's, well, that's, well, that's the question also. If you're doing your you mother-in-law... You still be the best. If you're doing surgery on your mother-in-law... Right, and if you're doing surgery on your mother-in-law, it's a little... Okay, there you dangerous. have some real problems uh, as to <laughs> Ethical potential issues. homicide. But so you get your friend to do your mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> get the guy that graduated last in his class. Good stuff, you gotta know the stuff. Listen, so, so he says like this, so he says, um, so his second paragraph, last paragraph on the page, he says, another proof would be from this Gemara and Sanhedrin that says, Rav Loshavet Abrei, Rav did not allow his son, Lemishkele Siluk, Siluk, to remove a splinter, um, in other words, he got a splinter, and his uh, son was a splinter taker at her, and he did not allow his son to remove the splinter. Um, he brings another story, Marbre de Ravina, Oshavik Lebre, Le Mifchasach, Le Kavase. He didn't allow him to, uh, he had a, uh, what's it called? It's things we pop? Oil. Blister. Blister. And he didn't allow his son to pop his blister. Um, okay. Dilma Chavil, because maybe he would harm him. Avli Shigazisser, and it would be an unintentional violation. Okay. So he used to, the Gemara says, Yachin Achernami. Someone else, how could you allow someone else? Everyone has a prohibition of harming someone else. You're right. For a son to a father or a, a child to a parent is a, is a capital crime. But everyone else has the same prohibition. So how could you allow any doctor to perform a procedure? If he cuts too much, he's, he's doing this, he's going to violate his law. Okay, so no one should be allowed to ever treat their friend. Um, so he says after the parentheses, Achashiga Slav, no shigas He says the difference is one is the unintentional capital violation, meaning technically it's a capital crime. Obviously it's unintentional, it's not going to be capital, but it's the violation of a capital crime unintentionally. Just hitting your friend 
is a biblical prohibition, but it's not a cap. It's not capital. It's just a regular prohibition. So he says that's why we're more concerned by a parent. By a, that's why we're only prohibiting a child treating their parent as opposed to a um, opposed to anyone treating anyone. So he's saying the proof is, you see from here, whether it's your father or someone else, the fact that he's giving you permission to slice him and to cut him open doesn't, doesn't make a difference. Right? You see that you're still in violation. As long as it's prohibited to harm someone, even if he gave you permission, in this case he said, do the surgery. Knowing full well that in the surgery he signed 17 pages, as we know, of disclaimers, saying that if I cut too much, it's not my problem, right? So he's agreeing. He's giving him permission to, if I mean, he might cut extra. That's what it says in the disclaimer. But still, the, the, the Gemara is saying it's still prohibited. You're considered a violation if you cut too much on your father or someone else. Okay? So that's his proof. So you see, again, permission to harm your body doesn't help. That the son might... Um, might cause mutilation or uh, uh, harm him yeah, unintentionally. We're, con we're yeah. conflating two different things here. Yes. We're, we're conflating the notion that the body isn't owned, it's on loan from God, as Rosh Limbaugh would say. Right. It, it's not owned by the person, and therefore you can't give permission, versus another concept that you might do something that's that's beyond what you're allowed to consent to. No. So so we're conflating being taped. And, and and in the and in the in American law we have two kinds of crimes, those that re require mens rea or criminal intent mm -hmm. and those that are a crime just because you did it whether you intended to or not which I think is kind of similar to what yeah, you're, you're saying you're mixing up saying you, you I hear what you're saying but this he's not addressing the, the issue of whether um, intent or not is irrelevant the point is he's saying he, he's just bring a proof to his prince his principles you don't on your body the proof is he's saying the fact that even if someone gives you permission to harm me it it doesn't make a difference. It it's doesn't invalid. change. Permission is invalid. Right. Exactly. Permission is worthless. Why? So he's gonna he's gonna build from that because it must be because you don't own your body. But the difference between whether it's a capital crime that that you can't hurt it versus a non-capital crime really doesn't relate to who owns it. Yes. So that that's the, the Gemara is not addressing who owns it. He's just bringing out one legal point from that, so I, that I'm, story, I'm which is that, the, let me just finish, the okay, legal point, just, you know, which is that you don't own, you don't, you don't have permission to harm your body. Yes, you understand? So, uh. two things. Number one is therefore when you actually need to have surgery, you don't own your body, so therefore I'm not sure you should be giving consent, right? Number no. two is if you're going on a submarine and you're going to, let's say, uh, you're going to be underwater for a right. year and you in anticipation to avoid appendicitis, you need to have your appendix removed prior to have any problems with your appendix, but to anticipate a potential problem or in deep space or whatever, you need to have an anticipatory surgery. Yes. You're harming your body. No, no, are you giving so. permission? Who Are you allowed yes. to even give permission because you so don't own yes, your body? Yes, let me explain. You how do we get, yes, how do we yeah, get exactly. God to sign so I'm permission? I'm because you're... God, as he said, and I didn't want to quote Rosh Limbaugh, I'll have to edit that part out. But uh, but um, the, uh, the but 
basically Rosh Limbo is correct in this situation, which is you you were stewards. We own where our bodies are on loan from God. So we're the stewards over them. So of course we are in charge of our bodies. I mean we get to make the decisions of what happens to our bodies. But perfect. But so therefore if my body needs to be healed, of course I can give permission to the doctor to heal my, to cut me open perfect. to give to sign the consent form. But and also if I know I'm going somewhere where I could potentially get harm, by doing this procedure it will prevent that harm. Of course I need to do that. I'm obligated to do that. And you're making it's an obligation because I'm a steward to take care yeah. of my body. But his point is you're exactly so you're, you're only a steward to take care of your body. But you can't like harm it. it sounds it's similar like, it to sounds like, like you, you lease it. a car. No. You rent the car, it's the same thing. You know, I have to make sure that I park it in a place where it's safe, where it's, uh, right, that's my obligation in the, in the lease agreement. I, if I want to take a sledgehammer and start smashing out the windows, I can't do that, even though I lease the car, no, and I'm in charge of no, who gets to drive it. No, but you can't renovate the car either. I'm talking about renovating your body. Um, first of all, I'm not sure. I have a lease car. I put a roof rack on, and I took it now. Uh, my no, it's no, coming up in November. I put a roof rack on. I proved it, and they said that's engine. great. They're happy about it. put an engine block in it. You can't do that to a rental car. Not a rental car, not a lease. Let's say a lease. Okay, a lease. So my lease car, I put a, a roof rack on. I'm not sure you can. I had to drive to New No, I did. I just, I'm telling you, I just put a roof rack on my car. Not just. Not a roof rack. I'm talking no, about No, and I major proved the car. No, it's a real thing. It's attached. I had to drill all into the roof. So yeah. they're very happy. They said it increases the value you know, if, if of the, the car. If the car's not going to run unless you change the motor, well, you're obliged to change the motor under the right, lease conditions. exactly. Meaning, okay. so the point is, steward means I am in charge of taking care of my body. But not the opposite. I can't harm my body. Steward doesn't yeah. give you the right to harm your body. It gives Sounds you the right like a very to... Uh, no, I think it's, well, it's very clear. Here's a, the model. I think this is what this is about. They start from the given that God's giving you your body. Yeah. Now you're fighting over the rules of stewardship. That's what it sounds like. It, it's a given the body is not yours. But God in the Torah and the Talmud... The opposite. It sounds like it's a given that your body is yours. No, like, I, think, I, think I think from think a secular a perspective, before oh, religion was created, yeah. the assumption is that the body is yours. I think this new idea of religion saying all of a sudden that your body is not yours is actually more modern. That that's a newer invention. The concept that your body is yeah, not yours. Probably true. The assumption is that the body is. That's yeah, where we that's start. That's the whole feminism. We start with the body is ours. Our bodies are ours. How can you tell me what to do with my body? It's but my that's body. not a modern. That's the more ancient. Is that it is our body. Right, the that's what the feminists Sina, Sina comes along and says, sorry, that's not, that's well, not the way we look that, at it. That, happens. That, is, that assumes that man existed before Adam. Well, not before Sinai. You mean that man existed longer than 5,778 years or something? Yes. You believe it was longer than that? Well, I, I do. Don't, I don't think <laughs> the, Egyptians considered, the Egyptians considered the person to be something residing in a vessel called a body. And they were I don't know, maybe. Spirits. So yeah, I don't know which came so first. I don't know that that's um, right, that the body was considered. It just seems like logical to assume that the thing that I'm, this is mine. Yes, so clearly that's in today's world, that's actually, I mean, no, I think I, the feminists brought that concept back. I, I think we own our bodies. More ancient. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just saying in, the more, in modern times, today euthanasia is saying, listen, it's my body, I have the right to do whatever I want. But you don't tell me if I want to stick a you know, piece of metal through my nose, or through right. my nipples, or through my right. whatever other body part. I'm good. Don't right. Right. Well, so but if you, but what you, that's what, what he's coming to. to what he's say saying is the default position in Judaism since Sinai is no, the body is not yours. It's God's. Now let's let, let's let's discuss what the rules of stewardship are. 
That's what we're debating ourselves yeah. like to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, You're saying sure. it's a given the body is not yours. Now you right, can right. I have a hard that. time with that starting place. But right, I got you and you and most of the world. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> okay, very different than today. Of course, and even in, I think in in medicine and forget the rest of the world in the med- in medical community clearly today in the last 20 years it's you are you can do whatever you want with your body no one can tell you you can kill yourself euthanasia you can refuse medicine you can refuse treatment you can no, it's a very all big that issue because it means you're saying i own my body and you, even the physician can't tell me what to do can't tell well, it's a big that issue that because society now is trying to find what obligation do i have to say to take question. care of nata's body to figure out that. Or do I have any obligation to take care of Nada's body? Or even worse, if I object to Nada's body's influence on the genetic stock of the population, can I get rid of Nada? I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah, that is. No, that, that basic assumption that your body doesn't belong to is a biggie. That, no, not that it doesn't belong to it. belongs to God. That's a biggie. Well, well, yeah, the, next, the, the, the last question becomes what happens after the soul leaves and, and you die, can can you then start taking the body parts out? So I, I think for the purpose Does of this God discussion, still own it once the soul is gone. For the purpose of this discussion, we have to go with the notion that the God, the body belongs to God, because if you don't accept that one, this whole discussion is pointless. Well, that's why it's a t- it, I, to me to make that assumption is really tough. I know. You conflicted guys. All the rest of us have no problem with you. You're the only one who struggles with that. Okay, cool. (laughs) It's a new generation. Shall I? I'm joking. Shall I? What do you think? Because Rabbi says, I don't know. What do you think about Adam and Eve? They were nice people. They owned their body? Or did they think the snake owned the body? Or what? I don't know if yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, it was not no, a it could be. No, but I'm saying it could be. It was. I'm saying, but it could be. It's a good point from Adam and Eve. Yeah. They then it was much clearer. God created them. They saw creation. I mean, so that God was in charge. It's a lot easier to relate to that when you know, listen. I think then today's day. So it could be at a, a lesser. Really, time. I would take from that story that they didn't really care much about God. They took him for granted. If it's a him or her, or it. Because they didn't listen to this com- one command, so they didn't take him too seriously. They had one command, they blew it. Life's full. That wasn't life's full. It's a nice myth. But but once they got kicked out, then because mm. okay, so so uh, I mean, there's, by the way, it's interesting because it's a good point because Torah by creation, the only stewardship the stewardship the Torah talks about is the earth. It tells Adam, you're a steward on the earth, and make sure that's all the environmentalists. You know, bring biblical proof that we have to make sure to keep up the environment, etc. So I'm saying the stewardship discussed there is not about your bodies; it's about the earth, which is interesting. So well, he'd make the argument: yeah. it's a given; it's understood; it's so yeah. obvious you don't have to state well, it. Well, it's interesting; it's not so simple because you see, um, Cain killed Abel. Clearly, he didn't have a problem with destroying life. Right. So there's a lot of discussion about what he, what his philosophy was. It wasn't just he was a murderer; he was. Of course, there was a rationale behind it. So there is discussion that he believed the fact that God accepted the one of the things that sacrifice. Uh, the sacrifice of Abel, which was an animal, and they didn't kill animals at that point. Till up until that point, they hadn't killed animals. So he said the fact that God he understood that that sort of permission that life is uh, there's no difference between animal life and human. He didn't make that distinction between human life, and animal life. That's one of the philosophies that discuss of Cain, and therefore he said, listen. 
So if God says you can take the life of a sheep, so he can take the life of a human. What's the difference? He doesn't understand that distinction. Whatever. So, that's so well, I would say you're expressing the majority view. We're here. We're here considering yeah, the minority I mean, view. Yeah, I guess exactly. I have to be part of the minority. I just want to make sure that that's part of the that's on the table. That the majority. Are you view. coming from the feminist perspective? Or no, I'm calling from. I'm calling from perspective. Wrong. Really? I'm calling from a yeah. humanist. I'm sure I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it's not... No, I'm saying part of it is our bodies ourselves. That was the whole it's, line, it's, which it's says, no, it's no, our no. bodies. Who are these men to tell us, who are these people to tell it, us what to do with our bodies? Who's anyone to tell us what to do with our own bodies? Well, I'm not sure... So he's anyone. disagreeing with that concept, not of feminism, but yeah, of but, that particular I, I, I think aspect that we own our bodies and therefore we can do whatever we want with our I, bodies. I think the fact that it's, it's... Clearly it was, men can't tell us what to do, but it doesn't preclude Hashem. Okay. And and I think I think that's coming as a religious. I think that depends on the feminist you're talking to. Right? <laughs> it always does. <laughs> it always does. But there were, you know, if you if you look at the people who were involved, most of them were nice Jewish. Yeah, we know that, of course. Um, yeah. So 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 it's a good point. So you, so you're saying it's not necessarily a contradiction to our bodies ourselves. This point. Right. So we are the minority here, discussing the minority view, which has been very powerful for several millennia, but it is the minority view. There you go. I mean, we accept your proposition. Fair enough. I accept the minority as minority. Do we have uh, what's the minority view? The minority view is that your body belongs to God, not you. That's the minority view. Why do you say that's the minority view? I don't know. Because most of the world behaves if their body belongs to them. And not only that, that your body. No, or they, or they might be arguing in what level of stewardship, as you said. But Could be they agree. I don't think so. I think. Or, as we're going to see, there might be two owners. Maybe I'm a partner with God. Uh, we both own it together. You know, there's, there's the other, there are other so. avenues. Uh, what's, do you know what the Muslim take on this? No, I know they do prohibit many things that we do, which is, similar to the like, uh, like it is. Uh, generally speaking, Muslim bioethics yeah. similar yeah, to Yeah, they don't have their own uh, They don't necessarily follow it, but that's their general view. On the majority and minority question, when we study Halakha, we are the majority. Right. <laughs> By definition, we have declared that, that we're the majority of, of the world relating to halakha. Right, but in the Jewish world, the people that study halakha, they are definitely the minority. Yes, so. that's, that's true, too. So, anyway, he goes on, he brings three other proof texts to this. I don't think we're going to have time to go through all of them. But uh, one is just in the Rambam uses also language of um, when the Rambam is discussing here a case, um, this is on top of page 10, Ram is discussing um, there is a concept of what's called kofr minaretzech, that the mur murderer, someone kills someone, he would pay the family compensation. Um, and there was a, there's a long, I'm not going to get into it, but koal adam, there was, it could be potentially an avenger of blood if the person didn't run to a city of refuge, etc. So it says, uh, the Rambam says that even if the, the Gol Adam, that means the avenger, the family member, says, you know, I, f um, I forgive you, you don't have to pay the money, it doesn't work. Because the Ram says, um, uh, He says, because it's not him to forgive. The ownership belongs to God. So you know, this guy murdered someone. The fact that a family member is saying, and this is big, by the way, this comes up a lot. Christians, uh, you always see them on TV, you know, they 
You know, the guy killed a family member and say, I forgive him, I forgive him. That's ludicrous. Judaism, that's a ludicrous concept. I can't forgive you. You took someone else's life. You took my family member's life. And I'm saying, you know, I forgive you. I want to go to heaven. I don't hold a grudge against you. That's a ludicrous statement. Even without this principle, you know, I can't forgive. It's like I'm selling the Brooklyn Bridge. Well, I'm forgiving you for, for the fact that you took that person's yeah, life. American, American law would support that too. In Columbine, people afterwards, relatives of kids that were killed, say, well, we forgive them. So what, the district attorney's not going to prosecute them because right, they forgive them? It's a ludicrous thing. So that's the Ram I'm saying. But the Ram throws in, the reason why you can't do that, he says, is because it's Kenyan and Kaddish Baruch Hu. The body, the life was owned by God. So who am I to, to say, you know, okay, I don't, don't give the money. I don't want your money, whatever the case is. He says, it's not, it's not up to you. That's one proof. Then in the second, second paragraph, he says another proof, which um, I'm going I'm to skip for now. I want to get to the end of this. Um, and the last, the last one is interesting. This is the famous Radvaz we discussed many times, where the Radvaz has a case. Um, right, so he just quotes me. That, that's the famous Radvaz where he discusses um, a case, an actual case that came to him, where he said they're going to kill the uh, emperor, whoever said they're going to kill this Jew mm. unless he they allow him. They al he came to the guy and said, we're going to kill this guy unless we can cut off your hand. Okay, and he prohibits it and he says whatever. So in there he quotes various sources which says, Pishay nefesh can you know, your, your soul is not owned by you. He quotes early authorities that says, Like we said last week, Torah doesn't prohibit even to pain yourself. You can't cause yourself pain. If there's a good piece of cheesecake on the table, you're obligated to eat it. Um, if holding back what? and not eating it is going to cause yourself pain, Wait, it's a prohibition. You're defining pleasure <laughs> and yeah, physical... So we, so we discussed less, like the Nazi, similar to the Nazi. So you, you can eat it if you, if you would be painfully hungry if you didn't, then you should eat it. Meaning, uh, obviously it's not dangerous if you don't, if you're... If you get you know, bloated and nauseated after right, you've no, I'm it, saying if you're, forbidden, I'm saying if, you, if you're healthy and you don't have high cholesterol. And, and you're not of Eastern European descent, descent, right. right. Okay, so, so just to finish off the last paragraph on the top of 11, because we're, we're out of time, it says like this, so just to finish his, his essay, it says, Anuram, says, uh, what's his name again? Rabbi Zevin. Anuram, we see from here, Eifo shel adam, uh, sorry, Eifo she varav shel adam, the limbs of a person, einam bishutokla, are not in his possession at all. Hu einenu baaleim, he is not the boss over them, vehem einam shalo, and they do not belong to him. And you can't do any business with your limbs, with your organs. He's not talking about kidneys here. He, this is before his time. Kidneys. He died in 1978. They were doing that. Uh, he's not addressing that. Um, it was around then, I think. So, but the point is, he's addressing the Shiloh case. He says, therefore, you cannot do any business. You cannot sell, buy, or do any business with um, your body organs. Um, he says, therefore, the, the, the contract it doesn't take effect. Not with a sale. Not as a gift. Not with a collateral. Um, anything similar to that. Any business transaction with your body parts is not going to work. He says, the lease, the contract of Shalak and Antonius, is null and void from, uh, from the beginning. From the start. From the start, batel muvutal afilu b'mikra. He says it's it's null and void even in the situation. Even if cutting off a pound of flesh would not endanger the person's Antonio's life, shaladam. Even in that case, it's still 
null and void. Kolshken, Kishbemet, he says, surely in a case where it's clear, it's true that enkel bitachon, there's nothing um, telling us for sure, shnituach kezeh, that this type of surgery of cutting a pound of flesh, liyotzi sadam in olam agamri, that would take out the person from this world completely, clearly, in most cases, cutting off a pound of flesh. The person's not going to survive, he's saying. And therefore, um, this is before they had uh, lap belt surgery, all that. So, so, um, so he says. So, therefore, he says the contract is null void, and he ends off with the words from the liturgy of Yom Kippur. I believe it's in Neila, or even other places too. It says, "Hanishamalach." We tell God in one of the liturgies, "Hanishamalach, my soul is yours. My gufpalach, my body is your handiwork. Hanishamalach, my soul is yours. My gufshalach, my body is yours. Kinyan shalakas baruch. It is owned by God. Where's the kinyan? You created Kinyan, actually, an interesting point. You may bring up the word Kinyan, which means acquisition, is the word we refer to God, when we say God is the creator of the world, He's Kono Shalala. Kinyan, the word acquisition comes from the word creation. Same word in Hebrew. Kinyan and Kono. Kinyan. But where's the Kinyan suggesting that? So I'm that? saying, so the fact that God created us. Where's the Kinyan to prove that? That God created us? Yeah. Oh, That's another story. Right, but okay. so anyway, so maybe next week okay. there might be just to finish off. You know what? I'm not. I'm, let's, I'm done with it. So I'm just going to tell you. There, there is another option which I found, which is that concept of you could be both. There might be two owners of the body. The fact that he's proving all his proof is proving is that God owns your body, but he's not necessarily proving that you also don't have some sense of ownership. Um, okay. So again, bring this back to to kidney donation or if I have to pay the mortgage and I want to sell my kidney, right? So can I do that or not? So he would seem to be implied, no, it's completely prohibited. You don't own your body. You have no right to make any business transactions. So I'm not so sure. If you look at it as God owns us, but and like sort of like we're saying, the analogy of the least car. You're haggling. Okay? Right, so I, I do have some sense of stewardship. So part of it, for my life, I need, to, I need money uh, to survive, uh, to eat or whatever it is. So maybe I am allowed to do but if you don't look at it as a sole ownership of God, it's, owner, it's a partnership. We both own our bodies. It's God and us. Um, it's more than just a stewardship. We do have partial ownership in that sense. So that would be the other side of the coin. Maybe to say that you can't well, sell your... It's an important concept as to who owns the body because of, of the whole property construct of the secular world John was alluding to. If, if it's if it's a piece of property that you own, then the state has certain uh, rights over rights over that. Yes, good point. Ownership. Over no, there's a whole a whole branch of study called biopolitics, which is what is the state allowed to do with your body? How much of your body belongs to the state? Uh, the first kidney transplant was done in 1954 at Peter Bent Brigham Hospital in Boston, Joseph, Joseph Murray. You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.